Chapter Fourteen of the Range Dwellers by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Frosty disappears. On the way back to the ranch, I overtook Frosty mooning along at a walk, with his shoulders humped in the way a man has when he's thinking pretty hard. I had left Frosty with the roundup, and I was pretty much surprised to see him here. I didn't feel in the mood for conversation, even with him, but. To be decent, I spurred up alongside and said hello. And where had he come from? There was nothing in that for a man to get uppish about, but he turned and actually glared at me. I might be an acquisitive son of a gun and ask you the same thing, he growled. Yes, you might, I agreed. But if you did, I'd be apt to tell you to depart immediately for a place called Gehenna, which is polite for hell well same here he retorted laconically and that ended our conversation though we rode stirrup to stirrup for eight miles i can't say that after the first shock of surprise i gave much time to wondering what brought frosty home i took it he had had a row with the wagon boss frosty is an independent sort and won't stand a word from anybody and the wagon boss is something of a bully the gate they were traveling, out there with the wagons, was fraying the nerves of the whole bunch before I left, and that was all I thought about Frosty. I had troubles of my own about that time. I had put up my bluff, and I kept wondering what I should do if Beryl King called me. There wasn't much chance that she would, of course, but still, she wasn't that kind of girl who always does the conventional thing, and the expected thing and I had seen a gleam in her eyes that, in a man's, I should call deviltry, pure and simple. If I should meet her out somewhere, and she even looked a dare, I confess one thing. For a whole week, I was mighty shy of riding out where I would be apt to meet her, and you can call me a coward if you like. Still, I had schemes, plenty of them. I wanted her. Lord knows how I wanted her and I got pretty desperate sometimes. Once I saddled up with the fixed determination of riding boldly and melodramatically into King's Highway, facing old King and saying, Sir, I love your daughter. Let bygones be bygones. Dad and I forgive you, and hope you'll do the same. Let us have peace, and let me have Beryl, or something to that effect. He'd only have done one of two things. He'd have taken a shot at me, or he'd have told me to go to the same old place where we consign unpleasant people. But I didn't tempt him, though I did tempt fate. I went over to the little butte, climbed it pensively, and sat on the flat rock and gazed forlornly at the mouth of the pass. I had the rock to myself, but I made a discovery that set the nerves of me jumping like a man just getting over a, well, a season of dissipation. In the sandy soil next to the rock were many confused footprints, the prints of little riding boots, and they looked quite fresh. She had been there all right, and I had missed her. I swore and wondered what she must think of me. Then I had an inspiration. I rolled and half-smoked eight cigarettes and scattered the stubs with the careful carelessness in the immediate vicinity of the rock. I put my boots down in a clear spot of sand where they left marks that fairly shouted of my presence. 
Then I walked off a few steps and studied the effect with much satisfaction. When she came again, she couldn't fail to see that I had been there, but I had waited a long time. She could count the cigarette stubs and so form some estimate of the time, and had gone away, presumably, in deep disappointment. Maybe it would make her feel a little less sure of herself, to know that I was camping thus earnestly on her trail. I rode home, feeling a good deal better in my mind. That night it rained barrels full. I laid and listened to it, and gritted my teeth. Where was all my cunning now? Where were those blatant footprints of mine that were to give their own eloquent message? I could imagine just how the water was running in yellow streams off the peak of that butte. Then it came to me that, at all events, some of the cigarette stubs would be left, so I turned over and went to sleep. I wish to say, before I forget it, that I don't think I am deceitful by nature. You see, it changes a fellow a lot to get all tangled up in his feelings over a girl that doesn't seem to care a rap for you. He does things that are positively idiotic. At any rate, I did, and I could sympathize some with Barney McTeague, only his girl had a crooked nose and no eyebrows to speak of, so he hadn't the excuse that I had. Take a girl with eyes like Beryl. A couple of days after that, days when I hadn't the nerve to go near the little butte, Frosty drew six months' wages and disappeared without a word to anybody. He didn't come back that night, and the next day Perry Potter, who knows well the strange freaks cowboys will sometimes take when they have been working steadily for a long time, suggested that I ride over to Kenmore and see if Frosty was there, and try my powers of persuasion on him, unless he was already broke, in which case, according to Perry Potter, he would come back without any persuading. Perry Potter added dryly that it wouldn't be out of my way any and would only be a little longer ride. I must say I looked at him with suspicion. The way that little dried-up sinner found out everything was positively uncanny. Frosty, as I soon discovered, was not in Kenmore. He had been, for I learned by inquiring around that he had passed the night there at that one little hotel. Also, that he had, not more than two hours before, or three at most, hired a rig and driven on to Osage. A man told me that he had taken a lady with him, but knowing Frosty as I did, I couldn't quite swallow that. It was queer, though, about him hiring a rig and leaving his saddle horse there in the stable. I couldn't understand it, but I wasn't going to buy into Frosty's affairs unless I had to. I ate my dinner dejectedly in the hotel. The dinner was enough to make any man dejected, and started home again. End of chapter 14 Recording by Tom Penn.